Welcome to the Mama Truth Show, where soulful mamas embrace the whole truth of the messiness and magic of motherhood. Check us out at mamatruthshow.com. Here's your host, Amy Ehlers, the wake-up call coach. Happy Mama Truth Monday, mamas. It's Amy Ehlers here, the wake-up call coach, and we're going to get into it today. Are you ready to get into it today? (laughs) Let me tell you, we have a guest who is phenomenal. It's Andrea Owen. And she's an author, she's a mentor, she's a certified life coach, she's a mom, she's a roller derby rebel, she's a hell raiser. <laughs> and she's really passionate about women learning how to really truly value themselves. She has an incredible podcast, and her website is yourkickasslife.com, yourkickasslife.com, which I love. Her first book is called 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, BS-Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass and Live the Life You Deserve. And she has a new book that's coming out in about a year, so we'll have her back on the Mama Truth Show to talk about that. But it's called How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. So you can really see why I'm so excited, because she's a truth teller, y'all. So you are going to love her. So welcome, Andrea, so much. Thank you so much for being on the Mama Truth. I was so happy to be here. I am so ecstatic to have this conversation. Yay. Well, you know, today we're going to talk about resentment. We're going to talk about blame. We're going to talk about having a special needs child. And we're going to talk about just being a mom and being able to, you know, really um, have our lives go okay, no matter what heartbreak we've been through. Mm-hmm. I would just love, Andrea, for you to just start by just telling the listeners a little bit about your life story. Like, what's your story, love? The short version. <laughs> um, I grew up in Southern California, and this is what I, was, what I was telling you. I think, you know, speaking of heartbreak, I was in a relationship for almost 14 years, and I was, I was married before, and we had been married for a couple of years, and talking about having our first child, as usually a lot of couples do during that time, and... Um, I had it all planned out. I had my bullet point list of like when we were going to conceive and, and all of these things. And my husband, my then husband had an affair with our neighbor that lived across the street and got her pregnant. And wow. they had been seeing each When I found out they had actually been dating for about seven months. It wasn't like it was a one-time thing. They were in, they were in a relationship and um, a divorce ensued and it was extremely painful. My his family was my family. They were, my own parents got divorced when I was 18 and his family had taken me in when I was very young and I was extremely close to them. It was a big family and lots of siblings and, you know, in-laws and things like that. So it not only was I having to grieve the relationship ending with him, um, you know, I was 30, 30 at the time and, but the loss of my family, you know, I wasn't given a choice. And so then I started dating someone immediately thereafter, <laughs> probably the, the worst choice, but the choice I picked. And that person um, I thought was amazing and um, turned out he had cancer, but then it turned out he had lied about having cancer for the nine months that we were dating. And he was actually um, addicted to opiates and had conned me out of a lot of money, out of a lot of things. And uh, that was really my moment where I decided that I had to kind of take responsibility for my life and the choices that I had made and what I had tolerated, what I had attracted in my life. Um, not, not to say that like those other, those two men weren't jerks, you know, like, <laughs> but they did, their, their choices were not good, 
but I had not never listened to my intuition when my intuition told me in both of those relationships to walk away, didn't listen. And it really was the first time I kind of picked myself up and said, okay, and actually listened to my therapist who said, you know, you should probably try this. You should read these books. And that's really when everything started to change. And so that was, that was about 10 years ago. So it's been a long process of um, kicking addictions and, and really just telling the truth about my own feelings. I mean, I didn't grow up in a house where it was, uh, I, it wasn't, um, it, I didn't grow up in an environment where it was okay to be vulnerable and like feel your feelings and, and things like rage and grief and like all these like hard, darker emotions were not, they were, my family just didn't have words to put around them. So they didn't exist. Mm. And, you know, I got into my early thirties and was like, what do I do with all of this? And I was channeling it in all these really harmful behaviors. And so it was, it was then about 10 years ago when I had to look at that and it was not easy. It was not easy. I would rather, you know, I blamed everybody else. I offloaded all of my hurt. I stockpiled it. I, um, I said yes to things I didn't want to do and was angry about it. So I did all of these things that were um, that didn't feel true to me until I, I started to chip away at it a little bit. And it's still today in 2016, a, a, a one day at a time process for me. Mm. Wow, honey. I mean, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And I just so appreciate nice your ability. <laughs> I know, right? There you are, people. Yeah. Well, I just, I so appreciate your vulnerability about it because I know that there are moms that are listening right now who are in the midst of heartbreak, who are in the midst of, you know, something devastating happen, happening, a tragedy happening, or just feeling rage and resentment, whether it's from, you know, their partner, their, whoever they're co-parenting with, whether a wife or a husband or whatever, or um, around their kids. And they have these big feelings. And I feel like until we understand and learn how to deal with and process big feelings, we keep feeling like shit as your, you know, as your book. So I'm curious about that for you. Like when you look at your pattern of now being such a success, quote unquote, but meaning having so much happiness in your life, being so kick-ass, being able to tell the truth, what do you really see as the first step for those people that are feeling big feelings, but they don't know what to do with any of them? I think it's like, you know, it's interesting. I know you're a good friend of Sark and I had her on my podcast and she, we were having a conversation about like, giving yourself permission to feel a bunch of different feelings all at the same time, even if they don't make any sense to you. And I think that that's a really great place to start is just to start naming them out loud. And sometimes I do that even, you know, as someone who still kind of feels like an infant in feeling my own feelings. Mm -hmm. I was someone who drank it away for a long time. I, I took it out on the treadmill or I, I took it out on any relationship that I, that I happened to be in at the time. And, and now it's about, just kind of sometimes I even just say the feeling out loud. It's like, I'm feeling really furious right now. And if it's just to me, I'm not saying it to any particular person, but I think that it's, um, it's also what I have realized. And this is, you know, in the work of Brene Brown says this too, is that in order to feel the light, we have to be able to feel the dark too. And I, I, I'm still astounded how much more joy I feel now that I allow myself and give my, per, myself permission to feel resentment sometimes or to feel grief and, and all of these things that, are, that I ran away from for so very long. And they're not easy feelings to walk through, but um, 
I think that like for me, I was always so afraid that if I walked through there or if I opened up Pandora's box that I would never walk out of it. Like I can't, if I open that up, I may never stop crying. Yep. If I walk through that hell, I don't, I I can't guarantee that I'm going to walk out on the other side. That was terrifying for me. And it was that self-trust, you know, and and it's, um, I didn't have any of it. So for me to finally get to a place where I was like, I can't hold this in anymore or I am going to fall down and probably never get up. So it was, for me, it was just like baby steps. I think it was a lot of journaling. Um, it was, it was a lot of conversations with my therapist and, um, comfortable conversations with people that I trust in my life and slowly but surely I was okay (laughs) feeling those feelings. Yeah. Well, I love what you said of just being able to tell the truth about how we're feeling. Cause I think we've all had those experiences whether in our lives, um, you know, growing up or even currently where you see someone and you say, how are you? And they go, fine. With like that, like you can, everything's fucking fine. Excuse me, potty mouth over here. But it's like, you are not fine. Like you, you are the first. Oh, I see that a mile away. (laughs) I see that a mile away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and I get like, it can be really inconvenient Oh yeah. For in that moment, you know, whether, you know, someone just had a, you know, a morning that was really hard or they're in some like a major trauma right now or whatever it is, it's like to be able to tell the truth. And so I'm curious for you, um, knowing that you're a truth teller, knowing that you feel all of the big feelings, uh, which includes feeling joy and ecstasy and bliss beyond our wildest dreams. Right. But it's like, then how do we as moms, keep it together. Like what is that line for you around keeping it together for our kids so that we can function, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of learning what that is too. Like that one day at a time thing. And I think that, like I was saying, like I didn't grow up in a house where, I mean, and I remember my, my uncle died suddenly when I was probably like eight or nine. And, um, I came home from school and my dad was home, which was unusual for him to be home that early. And my mom's bedroom, my parents' bedroom was dark. And my dad said, your uncle Gus died and um, just leave mom alone. She's, she's in there. And I mean, she didn't come out of her room for like two or three days and it was dark. And I remember one time seeing her walk down the hall in the middle of the day and she was in her robe and her slippers. And I think, you know, and having a very short conversation with her about it years later, the doctor had given her Valium, which my mom was never a drinker. So um, she was just kind of like making it through the days and no one talked to me about it. Like no one wow. pulled me aside. And, and, and I mean, even after it happened, like my mom still was never told me, I mean, like even if it, his name would come up, she would just kind of say like very matter of factly, like how devastated her and her sisters were and how sudden it was. And, and then it's like off to the next subject. So it's like, we didn't, there were no, there was not a place for that. So I think like now as a mom, it's being kind of like new and feeling my own feelings. It's like, I I asked a colleague of mine who specializes in in grief and um, her name's Dr. Martha Adkins. And I'm like, I asked her because I'm like, you're the expert. So I loved her definition. She's she's like, if you're in one of those like primal states of grief, like on the floor in the fetal position, probably not okay to do that in front of your children, you know, unless it's like a crisis situation where you can't help it. 
Um, but she's like crying in front of them is, is perfectly normal. And to also have a conversation with them about it. Right. So that's what I do with my kids. I remember there was one time where um, we were going through a really hard time and, and I had had a conversation with my sister and it like didn't go well. And I'm, I was sitting on the steps in our house and my husband had walked in the door and I burst into tears and I knew my kids were nearby and I was just like, whatever it is what it is. And Jason was like, what happened? And so I'm telling him what happened and, and being, being aware of not to like, you know, throw my sister under the bus in front right. of my children right, and, totally. aunt and, and, um, I was crying, but it was so interesting, like almost like, and they almost intuitively came by and sat next to me, each of them and just sat there and, and then I talked to them separately afterwards and asked them, like, did it scare you when mommy was crying? And they both had different answers, but it ended up being okay. And I was happy that they could see that their mother it was vulnerable and cries sometimes and that she's okay. And that it also kind of gives them permission to be able to feel whatever they're feeling and talk to, to us about it. Like that's the kind of environment I want to raise my children in. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. While you were talking, I had this flashback to when I was a kid and my mom um, had went through a really hard depression and she ended up with an ulcer. Mm. And like she kept telling the doctor, something's not right, something's not right. Nobody believed her until she started throwing up blood. Wow. And I remember I was in this dance class and part of this dance class was you had to make these really elaborate costumes. And I remember very vividly being in her bedroom when she told me, I can't make this costume. There's just no way I can make this costume and her falling apart about it, just crying because she, I know that I'm sure what I imagine now is that she felt like a failure as a mom oh, and she, yeah. you know, like all of those things. And then her best friend like showed up and made my costume for me. And I remember like her friend showing up and doing that. And then that's when my whole family, we went to therapy, a, f a few therapy sessions together as a family. And it was like, I was crying and crying and crying a lot in therapy. I've always been a very big feeler. Imagine that. <laughs> but it was like the therapist, like really acknowledging how awesome it was that I was feeling all these feelings and that I was expressing them. Wow. What a gift. I, thank God. Right. Because it was like, I felt like I, she's like, you are feeling all the feelings for your entire family right now. Mm -hmm. And it was like, from a very young age, it was like, okay, this intuition that I have, the sensitivity that I have is actually being celebrated by this therapist instead of I'm made to feel bad or wrong. Right. And it was such a powerful moment. And I think seeing my mom be vulnerable like that also evoked so much compassion and empathy for me at a young age. I mean, I'm sure I was like eight or nine years old and it was like it's such a big moment in our family. And so I say all of that just to a, like, just as a reminder for myself as a mom too, as, as I feel big feelings, allowing my kids in at an appropriate, like, like, you know, uh -huh. your therapist was saying, or uh -huh. the doctor was saying of like, yeah, maybe like falling down on your hands and knees and scratching at the walls, maybe right. away from the <laughs> but it's like having those moments where we get to actually have feelings like this yeah. is part of it for our children and for them to witness it and to witness that then mommy gets through the other side and fix, fixes dinner or breakfast or calls and orders the pizza or whatever it right. is. It's yeah. like, what a beautiful lesson for our children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I apologize to my children probably on a weekly basis. Um, mm. I lose my patience and, yeah. and I, I, 
I, yeah, I definitely have to go in and, and say that, that I'm sorry. And we even had the conversation, you know, cause my kids some, for a while were responding with it's okay. And I was like, no, sometimes it's not like it, mm-hmm. you, it, an appropriate response. Sometimes if someone apologizes to you is to say, thank you, mm-hmm. because what, if you say it's okay, you're excusing the behavior. No, you know, I can go on and on about that. But I think yeah. it's just like, I think that for, I, I've, I noticed that my children are, are much smarter than I sometimes give them credit for. Right. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's just really navigating kind of one day at a time. Well, and I know for you, so you have a special needs. One of your children is mm-hmm. special needs. My son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your son is special needs. And I talk to us a little bit about that because I know, talk about big feelings and talk yeah. about blame, resentment, like any of those feelings that come up for any of us as moms. And then I know there's a lot of moms listening that also have special needs children and that it's a specific kind of parenting and mothering that has to occur with that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that come up around it. So my son has, um, he was diagnosed when he was, I think he was almost six with Asperger's sensory processing disorder and anxiety disorder. And for him, um, he, he is high functioning. He's in a mainstream class and, um, and, but my daughter is neurotypical. So she doesn't have, have any, I think I see a little bit of anxiety in her sometimes, but you know, I guess the apple didn't fall far, far from the tree with either of my children. <laughs> but I think that, you know, when my son was getting into like school age and after his diagnosis and we just had a lot of problems with school and finding him the right services and interventions. And I know we're very blessed to even be able to have those for him. And, but I went through a period first, first I went through a period of grief. I think that for a lot of special needs parents, this was my experience is that we get the diagnosis and then we're sort of thrust into this world of helping them, of resources yeah. and solutions and interventions and classes and insurance. And it's like this to-do list. And for me, I was under this immense blanket of grief of just like, this is not what I anticipated. Like I have this child, you know, with, with this disability and and yes, I'm grateful that we live in 2016 where we know so much about it. And yes, I know that he's, and you know, and I kept getting these responses from people like, well, um, he's still the same kid, you know, and right. everything from that to, you know, the worst ones were at least he's verbal. Oh, you know, true. I got that a couple of times and um, I wanted to punch everybody in the face, you know, and, or, you know, like there was a lot of people that were coming at me with like diet changes and like all these solutions and, um, I just wanted somebody to, to come up to me and just grab me by the shoulders and say, I know what you're going through is fucking hard. Yeah. This is hard. And um, it was tough. It was like I had to grieve because he was my firstborn too. Yeah. So it's like I, I, we have this like idea of, of how things are going to be. And I had to grieve the loss of that. Like, is he amazing as he is? Absolutely. Of course he is. But I think that there's something to be said for just giving yourself permission to grieve what you thought, you know, it's like parenting a child you didn't expect, you know? <laughs> and, right. and, um, so, you know, it's like, I, I, I went through that too, but you know, there were moments of, of where his behavior was so difficult. And as someone who struggles with control myself, and it's one of the, the um, behaviors that I've had probably the hardest time letting go of and just surrender, surrendering and in my own practice. But, um, Parenting, I think, is difficult as it is having, you know, I have a neurotypical child. Parenting a special needs child takes so much patience. And there were moments where I finally sat down one day and was just at, I was done. I was done with parenting and I was done with parenting him. And I 
pounded out um, journaling where I, it was basically like a poem about resentment and how much I resented both of them and how this isn't what I signed up for. And I, you know, if I could do it all over again, I don't know if I would choose this path. And, and I was also feeling really resentful. A lot of my colleagues are child-free by choice. Mm. And I was, and I, you know, like hearing about their life and how carefree it is. And, and I'm like, sounds kind of nice. <laughs> and, and I even talked to my mom about it. And we were having this conversation about how my generation, you know, a lot of women my age are choosing not to have children. And my mom said to me, she goes, I could see how that would be appealing. And I wasn't mad, you know, being her daughter. <laughs> I'm like, I, okay. Like, you know, and, and she said, she's like, if that would have been around, like more of like, you know, accepted when I was your age, I might have chosen to not have children. And I was like, I totally understand that. Yeah. And I'm not mad at her for saying that to me, who's her daughter. But yeah. What I love about this so much is just the level of permission that you gave yourself and your, by stating this and talking about this in such a real way that you're giving moms to feel, whether there are moms with special needs children where it's been taken over their life. I, I have several friends who have children with autism, um, one that's very severe autism, one that's like where the child's able to be in mainstream and high functioning and what have you. But it's like, yeah, it took over their lives mm-hmm. for a good few years of trying every treatment under the sun, injections, this diet, that diet, yes. this specialist, that specialist, money, time, energy, mm-hmm. full-time job, full-time job. And to be able to have the space to be like, I am pissed off about this. I did not sign up for this. I am resentful as I'll get out. Mm-hmm. And to know that that does not equate that you don't love your child. That does not have anything to do with it. It's loyal mm-hmm. to your child. I feel like so often any of the things, any of the behaviors that our children have that us admitting it and admitting the resentment or admitting how hard it is does not mean it, it's, it, the, they don't go together that it means you don't love right. your kid, you know? That, cause that's where the problem arises is that we, that we make it mean something. Yeah. And I think like for, that was a big struggle for me too. I mean, even, even like years out of my first marriage, as I was still grieving it and I'd still have these dreams about my former family. I'm like, does that mean that I still am in love with him? And it's like, no, it doesn't. It means that I went through this traumatic event And, you know, the issues are in our tissues and the body always knows. And it's like still processing. Like, I think that we don't give grief enough credit. And that's why they call it a grief cycle is because it keeps coming back. And and it's like, I still feel grief for something's happened in my childhood. And, and I still feel grief for things that even happened to my parents, like secondhand grief for them. It's just, I think the more that I have given myself permission to feel whatever it is, the less power it has. It's like, it kind of like flows through and it's like, thank you. That's all I needed. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but instead we're like holding on to it and shoving it down. And like, you know, that's why they call it baggage. We pack it in and carry it around and, and then it comes out in other ways. And that's why I drank. That's why I starved myself. That's why I blamed. It was just all these behaviors that made me feel so incredibly crappy. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then it's like just the ways that we can Mm self-medicate. It's like, it's astounding to me as someone that occasionally self-medicates for sure. It's like, 
you know, whether it's a, a couple glasses of wine or the ice cream or the chips or whatever or you're obsessively checking email, <laughs> exactly being, you know, on social media, like, you know, becoming addicted to Facebook or whatever it is. It's like, we all have our ways of taking that edge off. We all have our ways of numbing out on mm -hmm. some level because it feels like it's too much. So you know, I'm curious, do you have any sort of process that you give your clients or that you've written about in your books? I know that you have so many different tools that you have. What's like one of like the golden tools that you might be able to give the Mama Truth Show listeners? For what specifically? Because I do have like a whole box of them. Well, I feel like specifically around in those moments, like you're in a moment, you're having a big feeling. Maybe you just got the kids to bed and you're feeling that urge to numb out. And uh, okay. Got it. So I think like one of my favorites, it was funny, I was just got off the phone earlier with a client where I was giving her this exercise is, is to ask yourself the question, what is, what is, what do I think that this drink or whatever is going to solve? Like what problem am I actually trying to solve mm. by drinking? And usually the first answer that people give me is, well, I am overwhelmed or I just want to take the edge off. It's been a yeah. long day with these kids. I just want to, so then just keep asking yourself the question, like, why, what is it about that that makes you want to drink? Like, again, like, what do you think that the drinking is going to solve? And I think that like what it does, is just kind of like digs underneath to see what's under there because at the root of it usually is there's something, there's something there and it could be resentments. Maybe you resent your partner for not helping you enough and you just haven't had the conversation. Mm. Uh, because you've put too high expectations on yourself about what it means to be a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Maybe you, um, maybe you've, maybe you're feeling um, like you've put on these ideal standards of what it means to um, be a wife and you need to set some boundaries with your husband. Maybe there's, maybe you are just totally have just burnt yourself out in your friendships because some emotional boundaries need to be set. Like there's, there's all kinds of things that usually aren't at the forefront of like, nobody really right. wakes up in the morning and is like, I think I need to set some emotional boundaries with my brother. <laughs> no, they usually feel like I can't wait to have two glasses of wine tonight with dinner. Right. But it's like, it's not solving the problem. Right. And I always say, you know, as a culture, we like that saying, like, I need something to take the edge off. I think that a, a lot of us would be a lot happier if we actually took the time to shine the light on those edges. And trust me, I was somebody who was like, hell no, <laughs> I'll take my wine and my brownies and, um, you know, in my library books and I'll just, I'll be just fine. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't, I was slowly unraveling. And I think that that's where a lot of moms end up. Mm. I love that. It's time to shine the light on those edges mm -hmm. instead of taking the edge off. Yeah. That's it never really goes away. Mm. It doesn't. I mean, mm. God, we try. I, I just feel like there would not be an alcohol industry as, as profitable as it is if, if alcohol really worked, because then we would only be doing it like once every two weeks right. <laughs> instead of every single night. Right. And um, I just, I think that as a culture, we are afraid to feel our feelings. I think that, uh, I think I am not an exception that I grew up in that family who did not, um, did not have a place to put my emotions and feelings. And so that's, it was starting to manifest through numbing. And um, 
yeah, that's, that's what I would ask people is, is like, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? What do you think that alcohol is, is helping you with? Mm. Whether it's alcohol or the ice cream or the chips or getting on the treadmill again for the fourth time that day or having a cigarette or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but just going in there and exploring. I love that. So I'm going to kind of give that to all of you mamas as an assignment. Why not try it tonight if you're someone that, or the reality television show or the social media or whatever it is. It's like when you feel that edginess, Mm -hmm. go in and explore it and let us know on the Mama Truth Circle Facebook group, what, what you discovered, what you uncovered. So as we wrap up here, um, Andrea, I want you to tell everyone the name of your podcast. So if you go into iTunes or Stitcher and you search for your kick-ass life, great. I'm in there. There's another one. Um, David Wood. I don't even know if he's producing any more episodes, but there is the kick-ass life, but that's not mine. That's a <laughs> different, very different. He's a great guy. I've been on there a few times, yeah. but it's your kick-ass life. And you'll see my, my picture on the artwork there. Perfect. Your kick-ass life. So your podcast listener mama. So make sure to check that out. I've been on Andrea's show. It's yeah. awesome. You can, you can search for your name to listen to that one. It was good. That was a good episode. That was a fun episode. <laughs> And then I know you have a free gift for everyone um, at yourkickasslife.com forward slash free. Free. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that gift. Well, you know this all too well, you know, about that inner mean girl, the inner critic. And I'm a big believer, as I think you are too, is that we can't make it completely go away, but we certainly can manage it. Yep. So it's um, just my three tools of how to manage it. And it's a little mini ebook and it also comes in audio format as well in case you'd rather listen to it. And yep, yourkickasslife.com forward slash free. Awesome. So go check that out, mamas, how the shit talking in your head is making you crazy. Three ways to change it. I love it. (laughs) Awesome. So as we wrap up, I want to ask you the question I ask all my guests here on the Mama Truth Show, which is what is messy and what is magical about motherhood for you these days? What is messy besides my kitchen floors? Um, (laughs) God bless cleaning ladies. They just came yesterday. What is messy? I think... um, all of it, you know, it's just, it's just showing up, I think is messy and like being your authentic self as a human, because I think sometimes we try to show up differently, like as a mother, um, I think that's messy and what's magical, you know, it's like, it's, it's the small little moments, the ordinary moments, the, the sound of, um, the sound of my kids' laughter, like I can never, ever get enough of it. My daughter's giggle and my son, the way he laughs with his whole body. And um, I just, I can't stop touching their hair too. It just, it just, those, and like saying goodnight, just these like small, small moments that just absolutely make my heart explode every day. And yeah, I can go on and on, but it's just the small stuff. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much, darling, for being on the Mama Truth Show. I know that you have gifted so many people with permission, and we can't wait to hear everyone's response to the show. So with that, mamas, I will send you off to have a beautiful Monday. It's Amy Ehlers, the Wake Up Call Coach, signing off, wishing you a magical Mama Truth Monday. Bye, everybody. Next time, keep embracing the messiness and magic of motherhood. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, mamas. Did you know that Amy has a new ebook out? It's called Sacred Self-Care for Moms, Seven Steps to Nurturing Yourself So You Can Be the Mom You Were Born to Be. And you can receive your free copy by going to sacredselfcarebook.com. 
That's sacredselfcarebook.com. And please don't keep the Mama Truth Show a secret. The biggest compliment you can give is to share the Mama Truth Show with your loved ones and write a review on iTunes. Until next time, keep embracing the messiness and the magic of motherhood.